Good afternoon this Monday once again. Scott Sharp, good to see you. Good afternoon, Greg. It's a beautiful day outside. A little bit windy, but not so bad. The sun's shining up here. That's That's a much good good thing. Well, you were down in Melbourne the weekend, weren't you? Just for Saturday, and I can tell you that uh, it's nice coming back here, getting off the plane. Blue skies. Fantastic up here in Newcastle. (laughs) Absolutely beautiful. What have we got planned for this afternoon? Today, I thought we'd talk about climbers uh, that are getting ready to flower at the moment, really versatile plants. I was going to talk about olives. Uh, You can do all sorts of wonderful things with them and a lovely gentleman came in over the weekend to describe herbs as spice plants so i thought we'd talk about herbs. spice plants spice plants yeah. we do have eric from merriweather on the line how are you doing eric good thanks scott um how i can... was wondering when 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 i should fertilize lavenders and what with yeah lavenders they're a fantastic little plant to have in the garden they'll you know flower almost all year round they're very easy to look after uh, the only thing they probably don't like so much here in uh, Newcastle especially on the coast is the humidity they can get fungal diseases uh, but fertilizing them they're a plant that you obviously want to flower a lot so uh, you can fertilize them almost all year round I'd suggest uh, probably uh, you know three or four times a year you can certainly do some now if you'd like and get them right. ready for when they go into spring uh, and if you're going to fertilise them, I'd probably use, uh, you know, an all-round fertiliser. There's a very good one called Sudden Impact, which uh, is used on roses. Uh, and But it's very good for using on citrus. You can use it on lavender as well. It'll improve the, the growth, the foliage of the plant. And it will also uh, make, you know, lots and lots of flowers on the lavender. So that one's called Sudden Impact. It's got roses all over the front of it, but I'd, I'd suggest that it's very good for lavenders and for citrus. The other thing with lavenders, if you're going to give them a prune back, only give them a uh, you know a very light prune back. They're a plant that if you prune them back extremely heavily, you can actually kill them. So I always say just you know a small amount often with lavenders. You know no more than a third of the plant, and you'll get a much you know fuller plant. You often see French lavenders; they've gone all hard and woody, and then people want to prune them back quite hard and it really is the wrong thing to do you just need to give them a gentle prune back try and get some new growth coming on and then prune them back a little bit more perhaps you never go back down in into the hardwood but certainly at the moment uh, eric you can fertilize i'd give that sudden impact a try and uh, see how it goes with it okay what about a little bit of lime a little bit of lime won't hurt lavender. I've always been led to believe that they like a slightly alkaline soil. Uh, so that's why I was suggesting, you know, you could also use some poultry manure as well if you wanted to. But certainly a little sprinkling of lime's not going to hurt the lavender. Okay. Thanks very much, Scott. Not a problem, Eric. Thank you. Bye. Thanks very much there, Eric. It is Gardening Talkback on 2 and you are at FM at 103.7. Now, you mentioned something earlier about climbers, Scott. Yes, there's some lovely climbers just about to burst out into uh, flower at the moment, and one of those is called Orange Trumpet Vine. Uh, you've probably seen them around. It, you know, they look so orangey and bright yep. that uh, you know, in the depths of winter, you feel like you could go and put your hands up near them, and they would <laughs> warm, warm you like a gas heater. <laughs> That's how nice they are and how vibrant and colourful they are. So they're a very, very quick-growing climber. Uh, They're in the uh, garden centres now. They'll spread out over all sorts of things. Now, the great thing about orange, orange trumpet vine as opposed to things like uh, wisteria and bougainvillea, is that orange trumpet stays, you know, quite nice and soft. It doesn't get big and hard and woody and break things. So often you see wisteria 
or uh, bougainvillea, you know, it's grown through someone's pergola or along a fence and, you know, they just get so big and so nasty that they just start, you know, popping bits of timber and breaking all sorts of stuff. Yep. Uh, orange trumpet's not like that. It's a softer climber that at this time of year, absolutely stunning. Uh, it'll probably spread out about six metres. Uh, you can't grow them much further south than, uh, you know, say Wollongong or so. It starts to get a little bit cold for them there. They're actually uh, from South America. They're from Brazil and they do prefer the warmer climates, you know, sort of from Wollongong up through us and all around the top and back around to Perth. It's quite a long distance, I guess. But, but they, they, do, they do like those sort of slightly warmer conditions, but fantastic for flowering from now uh, through until October. Very good. Now, we do have Barry from Lemon Tree Passage. How are you, Barry? I'm very well, thank you. Good. What can we help you with, Barry? Mate, I have a lemon tree that is, uh, oh, I don't know, Six foot, seven foot tall. Yep. And I would say maybe the top third of it has curly leaves for some reason. Yep. The bottom part, the bottom part are, they seem to be fine. The tree's growing very well, but the leaves are curling up on, on, on top for some reason. I don't know why. What would usually happen with the lemon tree? It, it, look, it could have, uh, you know, the remnants of citrus leaf miner or, or, you know, leaf curl up there in those top branches. And that's probably because that's where all the new foliage has been prior to it getting, getting cold. And so what happens with a lemon tree, all the foliage, you know, it just keeps on building on itself. So the new foliage obviously moves up to the top of the plant and all the stuff that you're looking at down the bottom has hardened off and hasn't got that uh, leaf curl in it. So what I would actually suggest to do is to give your lemon uh, a good hard prune at some point in time. The other thing that happens is that new foliage is up there and that's where all the fruit starts to go as well. It's always up the top. You can't get to it. Eventually it drops to the ground. It's rotting. You've got, uh, uh, you know, fruit fly problems then. So the best thing to do is keep your lemon at a, you know, a, a manageable height. I always say just above head height and you're always going to get enough fruit out of a plant that size, you know, probably enough for yourself and the neighbours all around you. Uh, so I'd, I'd be inclined to give it a good hard prune back. Now, when you start to see new growth coming on, that's when you have to start using a product called uh, uh, Eco Oil. It uh, protects the plant from citrus leaf miner and other scale insects and things, and also mites as well. And so once that uh, new foliage clump comes on, you start spraying with the Eco Oil. Uh, you use it a few times until the foliage hardens off, and then those insects actually can't get into the leaves and do the damage. It's just when the leaves are soft and sort of juicy for the insects to get into, that's when they'll go and do that uh, and damage your plant. Great work. So just a good prune will be fixed, it? I reckon so. All right, mate. Thanks very much. Okay. Thanks, Thanks, Barry. Cheers. And we've got Rosemary from Corlett. How are you, Rosemary? I'm pretty good, thanks. That's good here. What's your issue? Pardon? How can we we help you, Rosemary? Oh, sorry. Uh, I've got a Geraldton wax, and I want to take cuttings because I've let it get scraggly and huge. Yes. How, How thick do the cuttings have to be? It's very thin and... When do you take them? You take them after the flowering, don't you? Yes, you take them after the flowering. It's also more of a problem as to when they're going to strike the best, and probably here in the middle of winter they're not going to strike very well. Okay. So you might be better to wait till you know mid-August perhaps before yes. you, you try and do that. Now with cuttings, and it's a fairly general rule, is that you take them you know towards the top of the plant where yes. 
the uh, you know there's new green foliage up there and it's just starting to harden off and start to get a little bit woody and that's where you take your cuttings and you take some of the leaves off there and you just stick them into a you know into a rooting powder if you want to a hormone powder yeah. and then you can get them into a, uh, a propagation mix which is usually fairly well drained because you don't want those cuttings to be sitting in a really heavy yeah. sort of soggy mix. Um, does it matter if they're really fine sticks? No, no, that, look, that doesn't matter. You can give it a try. You know, uh, plants will, uh, you know, spread and propagate from almost any tissue. Uh, oh, okay. So, so you can try and give it a, a go from there. Uh, look, oh, I'll just do, you know, as many as you can uh, and, and try and get some propagation of the gelatin wax that way. Yeah. Ger- unfortunately, with gelatin wax, it's a bit like lavender that I was talking yeah, about before. Yeah, I was you... going to ask you that. Yeah, it's one of those plants where you need to cut it. You know, if you are going to prune it, you need to prune it back. You know, regularly and small amounts. Once it gets to, you know, spindly and all that hardwood and you want to get it back, you know, yeah. quite heavily, chances are it's going to die. Fortunately, yeah. where you are, you're up at Corlett, I believe, yeah. so you've got nice sandy soil up there. The yeah, wax, it loves it. Oh, they love that. They love the well-drained soil. <laughs> uh, they, they don't do too well, uh, you know, down here in Newcastle, you know, up in the hills where there's a lot of clay and stuff. They right. just, just won't do very well. They have to have very well-drained uh, soil. That's why you also do so well with... Uh, New South Wales Christmas bush up there in that area as well oh, yeah. uh, because of the well-drained soil. But, yeah, get, look, uh, try and, uh, you know, take some cuttings off that, get it into a propagation mix and see how you go. It's, uh, you know, it's not cost- costing you anything it's, and it's always worth a try. And, uh, you know, if you can get them to strike, then in your area you'll be able to uh, have many other plants growing in the garden if you can get them to go. Yes, goody. Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Rosemary. Thanks Bye. so much, Rosemary. Now we've got Barbara from Mount View. Barbara, what's problems with you? Oh, hi, thanks. Um, look, this time last year where we were pruning our grapevines, we noticed that something had must have flown over us because for about a, a good half an acre, um, we had a, an oily poop, for want of a better word, um, <laughs> yes. on, on all of the vines. And we we didn't see anything go over. We, we think maybe it was bats. Oh, yes, uh, okay. At, in I, I, the night time or whatever, but the, the oily residue is still on the vines 12 months later. And, uh, you know, we're just wondering if there's any sort of damage that could be caused by whatever it was. So, uh, at first, when you said that, I thought it must have been, you know, like a, a low flying plane out of Cessnock or something you were talking <laughs> May about. Have been. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you've just still got this oil. Is it over the leaves of the grape, or is, have they lost their no, leaves now? It's on. It's on the. It's on the. Um, on the branches of the of the vines, because it only happened. It must have happened at about this time last year, just as we started to prune, um, and so you know they're all they're all leafless at the moment. So has there been any dieback in the area where there the... has there has yes that's that's why it's concerning us this time that uh, the crop wasn't as good as it should have been and there is a bit of dieback. There's, there, look, there's nothing that I know of that you, you can use to remove that, uh, you know, in any sort of safe way, you know, you know, short of using detergents, and I think that would be counterproductive uh, yeah. using those on and around the plant. Uh, the only other thing I, I could suggest is uh, there's uh, products uh, like SteriPrune, uh, which, uh, you know, they, they're a tar-based paint, and, and spraying that on there, you know, will actually hopefully try and protect the plant in that area. You could also use a fungicide like copperoxychloride and uh, make that up into like a, a thicker sort of paste and paint that over there to form a sort of protective coating. But without yeah. actually knowing, you know, what it's doing, is it effectively, you know, burning into the bark of the plant and, and ring-barking it? Uh, 
Because that's you know just it's just I think um, keeping it keeping this like an oily residue along along the limbs. It's, it's really quite strange. So you don't know of anything that would have flown over it. You know, I mean, it would have to have been a quite a large flock of something. Yes, yes. Because uh, uh, and it had yellow seeds in it as well. Uh, so look, I don't, look. Obviously, flying fox and thing when they do take off. I know where I live at Carrington. They live in the mangroves there. You get you get quite a large flock of yep. them at first, but they very quickly disperse out. To, you know, and go off their, their own separate ways to find what they want uh, to eat for the night. So I don't know if it'll be them. So it must be, have been some, uh, you know, other sort of bird uh, that, that's flown over. But, you know, whether that, you know, that, that doing damage, I wonder if it's worth looking, you know, somewhere else in, into soil conditions, uh, you know, some other sort of uh, problem with the plant perhaps, you know, yep. rather than just... Sort of, uh, no, this is something that it, attacked. It's, yep. it's something that happened directly after. Oh yes, yes, yes. because yeah. it was it was on, it was in the ground. It was on the wires. It was everywhere. Oh, okay. And it, it may have been the plane out of Cessnock. <laughs> it may be worth taking some, you know, taking some photos of it and taking it to your local garden centre, seeing if they can help you out. You know, when they've got some visual cues in front of them there. Uh, okay. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I don't think the tiger moths get quite that low up around your place, do they? <laughs> <laughs> There's one that comes over the mountain every week. <laughs> okay, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you, Barbara. Okay, yes, thanks, Barbara. Bye-bye. Interesting mystery there, the mystery bird, perhaps. Or... Yes, yes, or the mis- mystery squadron, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty, how are you again this afternoon? Pretty well. It is gusty wind out there, and I can talk about a plant that will withstand all those horrid, horrid winds. winds. Is it a, just a massive tree, or? Well, it can be. It can <laughs> Can be a you know a sort of medium tree, and they're olives. Olives. Yeah, think about the winds that come off the Mediterranean, the Mistral, I believe it's ah, called. Yes. Yeah, how's that? I just I just remembered that actually. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to doubt you on it. I'm going to take your word for that. <laughs> well, I, I, I've just said it, so you have to now. <laughs> it sounded so good, but I'm pretty sure it is called the Mistral, and it, it comes in off the Mediterranean. It's a very strong wind, uh, and olives are a very very versatile plant. Look, they can withstand those winds over there. They almost grow on the side of a rock in, in Greece. So. Very, very good plant. Uh, One of the reasons I wanted to talk about them today is that, um, you know, they're also a very good plant for hedging. People often poo-poo them as a hedging plant. They think think they're, uh, you know, sort of spindly and open, but they're not. Once you start pruning them and hedging them into a nice shape, they give a very, very thick hedge uh, and a very, very tough hedge as well. So here in Newcastle around the beach, they'll withstand the wind uh, and all the salt that that wind brings in. So they'll yep. do very well. You could use them up in the valley where it, uh, you know, gets uh, quite cold and, you know, you get the frost. So they'll withstand those conditions as well. So just pruning them into a hedge will thicken them up very, very dramatically. They make an excellent hedge. You can also let them fruit if you want to. And there's so many different uh, varieties of olive that you can get for fruiting. Yep. Obviously, they're probably one of the, the best ones and the best all-rounder is called the, the manzanilla, uh, which actually means little apple in Spanish. Oh. Yeah, so I did actually look that Don't one up to make sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they, they came from Seville. Uh, so manzanilla is an excellent olive, a very good all-arounder. Uh, there's one called Mission, which actually came out of the uh, the Californian missions because they grow quite a lot of olives over in California, yep. and they make an excellent table grape. Uh, of course, the the Kalamata, which is probably the most uh, you know famous uh, olive and, and the one that most people come in and ask for because uh, it's quite a meaty olive, and I guess that's probably the yep. best way to describe it. It's a meaty olive, and there's also the Frantio, uh, and it's a, it's an excellent olive as well. Uh, now, another misconception about olives is people often come and say, oh, I want a green olive, I want a, a dark olive, yep. but it doesn't work that way. It's actually the green olive is the raw olive, and then it turns dark, dark. over time. Yep. So that's how olives work. Uh, you can also pickle them yourself. It's a, you know, it's a pretty uh, 
you know, extensive process over about 20 days using, uh, you know, briny water yep. to actually draw the bitterness of the olive out. You can't just pick the olive off a tree and eat it, unfortunately. Yep. It's not a very tasty sort of fruit. <laughs> so I don't know how they worked out how to do that in the first place. You know, if, you know, an ancient Greek picked an olive off the tree and sort of ate it. And, oh, that doesn't taste, taste too flash and, you know, cut it down <laughs> after that. But they did work it out as the Greeks worked out many, many other things um, back then. And, uh, it, you know, it's be, become one of the, you know, the most, uh, you know, used oils and fruits, you know, across the world. And they, I think because of that versatility, you know, they can grow almost everywhere in the world. Uh, and especially in very hot and dry places. So if you are looking for a really nice hedge, uh, a different colour as well, you get that grey foliage rather than, you know, a dark green or the reds of the lily pillies or the reds of the petunias, you'll get a beautiful, uh, you know, grey sort of almost silvery colour. And, and I think that, that works very well. A very, very tough plant, fantastic for hedging. Very good. So you can pretty much plant them anywhere. You, really, no... you really can, yeah. Oh, very good. Yeah, anywhere here in Newcastle, most certainly. And Scott, we've got Peter from a coal point. How are you doing, Peter? I'm um, well, thanks. That's very good. Scott, um, I've got four monsterios that have been in for quite a while. Yes. Um, but they're getting unruly. The stalks on them are about six foot long. Um, and off those stalks, there's some suckers. But um, they're taking up too much room. I'm wondering if I cut that stalk... Uh, if I can replant the suckers. Yes, you certainly can. You, so you can cut that off there. Sometimes you'll even see aerial roots starting to come down from those suckers and you can yep. just whack those directly in the soil and that'll work for you. We've got one at uh, work at Merriweather that's been growing over this side fence for as many years as I can remember, certainly since I was a kid. Right. And I, look, if people have come in and wanted some, I've, I've just cut a couple of pieces off that and given it to them as well. Uh, you can cut them you know, back fairly heavily and they will reshoot as well from down low. Yep. Uh, so that's also something you can do. But if, certainly if you want to cut off anything that you see that's suckering and has got the aerial roots coming out, an ideal spot to cut it and uh, put it in the soil and get some new monsterias. I haven't tasted it for so long. I remember an old auntie of mine had them uh, growing down the back in Waratah when he used to eat it. But uh, I, I honestly don't remember what it tastes like anymore. I don't think I've even had one. Yeah, I, I've never tasted it. Um, but they cover cover a multitude of sins on my back fence. Uh, so, um, but what the the problem that I'm having now, because they've become so big and and growing, they were growing along the ground with those aerial roots. Yes. But they were growing across my driveway. Oh, really? So I cut all the roots off, and I've suspended it now from a tree with a rope. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, to get it back off the drive, but um, it'd be better if I could replant it. And look, naturally, it, it will want to climb that tree as well, even if you if you want it to do that. Uh, you know, they can become a bit of a choker. But so uh, you mightn't want to let it get too far. Yeah. Uh, but certainly they'll do that. I, I, from memory, they had a sort of a sickly, um, caramelly almost taste to them. But that's sort of delving back probably about 35 years now in my brain, and it's um, getting a bit fuzzy back there. But it sort of it sort of reminds me of you know a durian that you you'll get over in Southeast Asia. It's a bit like that, but not perhaps as sweet and as sickly as that. But they yeah. a very nice taste to it. Yeah. Mm, a bit like pomegranate. Oh, yeah, sort of a. Yeah, it's it's much smoother than that. Yeah, it's it's very very caramelly. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Okay. Thank, thank you, Scott. Okay. Thank you, Peter. See ya. All right, Scott. Now we do have Steve from Hamilton. How are you doing, Hello. Steve? How can we help you, Steve? Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. I've, oh, hi. I just got a um a diplodema in a pot. Yes. Which I've moved, but I didn't move it out of the pot. I just moved the whole pot and everything. <laughs> yep. And um, I just want to know. It's going to lose sun about two o'clock. Does it need full sun? 
I think losing sun with a diplodenia would be absolutely fine for it. Uh, they, yep. they are a plant that you know will grow in the part shade as well. So getting it out of that afternoon sun is probably going to be you know only benef- any beneficial for it. Uh, it won't you know won't be worried about it in summer. Uh, you know, drying out as much. So I think it's probably a good thing for it. In fact, if if I was going to suggest uh, where to plant a diplodenia uh, for someone okay. that came into work, I'd suggest getting it out of the sun after after lunchtime. So it's going to be in the right Perfect. spot. Perfect. Okay. And feeding it now um, this time of year, or so? Look, certainly with the no. dip, with the dip, you can feed them all year round. I'd feed it three or four times a year. They're a plant that yep. uh, you know they're very quick growing. Uh, if you want, you know, that profusion of flowers out of them, I would certainly feed them three or four times a year. I wouldn't be concerned about doing it now. It'll only help it. Uh, you know, the the year is quickly churning on. Uh, Greg and I were just yep. saying, dear Lord, it's the sixth of July already. <laughs> It'll be spring, hopefully, fingers crossed, before we know it. So uh, I, I wouldn't be concerned about feeding it uh, now. <clears throat> You can certainly do that. Get it ready for spring. Okay, potash best or uh, potash will only help the flowering of it. You're probably yep. best to use uh, potash in conjunction with a you know another all-round fertilizer. Flourish is a very good uh, liquid fertilizer to use, and you can use that every couple of weeks if you want to. But you're probably okay. best to also use you know a heavier fertilizer, one of those pelletized ones, uh, to yep. uh, just give it you know some oomph there, uh, some uh, organic sort of matter right through the year. Excellent. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Steve. Now, we're now continuing on with the Mediterranean theme this afternoon. We've got David from Hinton. He's talking about tomatoes. Yeah. How can we help you, David? How are you, Scott? How can we help, mate? Uh, yeah, how are you going? Pretty well, yeah. Um, I want to plant some tomato seeds, mm-hmm. and I use a, a um, plastic bottle as a, <clears throat> as a hothouse. Um, and then I'll... When should I do that? I want to plant them from seed and grow them right through. It's probably just a touch early at the moment. So yep. with your seed, it's going to take a couple of weeks, uh, you know, thereabouts for it to germinate. I'd be waiting, you know, probably another two or three weeks now, right till the start of August. Yep. Uh, and then germinating them at, at that time. Uh, and, and then so that uh, you know, even if they start to flower too early, you don't quite get the taste out of the tomato because the sun and the warmth isn't there. Yes. So having having it germinate at the start of August, you know, after a couple of weeks, you should be able to, you know, then move them out into the open after that. Hopefully any frost will have gone by then as well. I hope so. We've had some good ones. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's the main thing. You don't want to put little young seedlings out into an area where they're going to get frostbitten and just burn away for you. So really that's probably going to be, you know, the second week or so of August. Uh, and, th- and that's the time when you get them out. And then you'll get the, the tomatoes within about six weeks and it'll be warm enough then and you'll get some nice flavour and you'll be able to keep on those, keep those going all the way through the year, probably until May again if you want to. Okay. When I do put them in and I cut the top off a cordial bottle and turn it upside down, should I bore any holes in that as well? Oh, so just to, for some drainage? No, no. It, I plant them in, in, in potting mix. Yes. And then I cut the top off a bottle and stick the stick it over the, the seeds upside down so it creates a hothouse. Oh, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. Do I, should I bore any holes in the, in the bottle itself to oh. let it... Yeah, I'll just put a couple of small holes in there just to let it breathe a little bit. That, yeah. That's fine. Okay. Yeah, yeah. okay. Thanks, Scott. Okay, not a problem. Thank you, David. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we have Amelia now from Belmont. How are you doing, Amelia? Good, thank you. Very good. Now you've got winter grass in your buffalo horn. Yes. Is there a spray or I just have to kneel down and pull it out? 
There are sprays. Now you've just tested my memory. There's two different ones. There's Wintergrass Killer and there's another product that Yates make. Now I'm pretty sure that uh, there's one of them you can't use on buffalo, but the other one you can use on buffalo to get rid of Wintergrass. I see. The trouble with uh, the... Uh, some of them work as pre-emergent, so you actually get them before the seed comes up. So it's important to get to it now before it starts seeding and spreading throughout the lawn. Um, so look, if you are out there picking it out by hand, well, that's you know it's only going to be helpful. Um, but I would definitely go to your local garden centre and just grab the packets or get someone to help you and uh, turn them over and just make sure that you get the right one. On the buffalo, and I have white fly all over my tomatoes at the moment. Yes. Um, I have used Deris dust. Yes. But uh, is it is that just the thing to use or? Uh, something better. You could try and use Malathon as well. You're allowed to use that on edible plants. Okay. Uh, just for memory as well, Eco Oil, I'm pretty sure you can use to try and control whitefly as well. So that's something you can use on edible plants oh, as well. Oh, fine. Because yeah, so, I use that on my lemon tree. Yeah, so give that a try and see if that uh, keeps it under control for you. All right. Whitefly white, white is notoriously difficult to get rid of, though, Amelia. So if you've got it there, uh, you're really going to have to work hard to get rid of it. Yes, it looks like it. I've, I've fortunately got tomato plants about eight foot high with bunches of tomatoes at the moment. It's rather unusual. <laughs> Very early, so hopefully you get some nice tasty fruit out of it. Okay, yes, we've started eating them already, oh. so that, that's good. Not quite as good as the summer ones, but they're still pretty good homegrown. Better than the shop-bought ones. And, uh, that's right. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Amelia. Okay, thanks for your help. Bye. Bye. We have Sylvia from Bonnells Bay. How are you this afternoon, Sylvia? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Oh, I cannot complain. Wonderful. On a day like this, it <laughs> Very good. Now, what can we help you out with? I've got a couple of problems, unfortunately. Yes, fine. Ponytail. Are they hard to dig out? Ponytail palms? Yeah. They should be quite easy to dig out. Uh, they've got a big uh, sort of bulbous, you know, butt on them, I guess is the best way to describe it. Uh, and it's really quite soft and moist in there. If you attack it with a chainsaw, I've never seen so much moisture. They just sort of almost burst apart. It's, it's like going into a watermelon. So that should be quite easy to get. I'd to like get. to keep it and put it oh. somewhere else if possible. Well, how big, how big is it, Sylvia? Is it quite large? It is. It's about five foot, I think. Four or five. They're a very tough plant, so digging in as much as soil as you can, try and get as you know much of the root system as you can. Uh, look, largely though, it's going to have a lot of uh, resilience because of that that big uh, you know butt that they have that stores all that moisture. Yes. Uh, so I, I would definitely give that a try. It'll probably be quite heavy, uh, but yeah, give it a try and see if you can move it. I, I would suggest it will move quite uh, quite successfully for you. Um, with a spade, all right? Oh, yes, yes. So try and uh, cut as much as you can. Never try and tear them out. Always try and cut any roots there. You don't want to do any damage uh, by tearing it out. It's always yeah. best to cut anything. Now, how wide are the roots on it? Do they go a lot wider than the plant? Well, they, they shouldn't do. Uh, you know, uh, they should be, you know, almost just down in underneath the plant. Most palms are like that. Uh -huh. uh, but again, just try and take as much as, it, uh, as you possibly can, actually. Yeah, the lift. problem is I've got an overgrown garden here mm -hmm. and uh, the birds of paradise are squeezing it out.
Yeah, so look, the bird of paradise, if it's squeezing it out, it's going to be the difficult one to try and dig around. They've got a, a absolutely terrible root system on I there. know. Yeah, they're, they're, they're evil to try and take out. They're one of my plants that, uh, along with, uh, you know, uh, uh, yuccas that I say don't plant anywhere that you can't get a bobcat in to, to dig it back out at some point in time because if you ever want to get a strelitzia out, it's uh, almost impossible to dig it out yeah. by hand. You need a, a machine well, to actually... Well, I've got a problem with a yucca too. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> So yeah, yeah uh, yuccas as well. They're they're the same. They'll they're, they're big. They've got a big sort of woody base, uh, you know, a big butt about them as well. And they'll start to wreck up if you put them too close to houses or fences or, uh, you know, pavers. They'll just spread out and do a lot of damage as well. So again, a, a plant you have to be very careful about where you plant it. Put it yeah. out, out in the well, middle of nowhere as well. Well, unfortunately, I moved here eight years ago, yes. and for the last couple of years, I haven't been at all. Well, and I've left the garden go. Oh no. Well, look, I think you should be able to uh, successfully plant uh, transplant that ponytail. Plant. Um, try and make it take as much soil as you possibly can and uh, just make sure it's well watered after you've moved it. Right. Okay. Now, the yucca, um, can I cut the leaves that are sort of on the house at the moment? Can I cut the back leaves off? You can cut a yucca back as hard as you want. I, I would suggest you could almost cut it back down to the ground level and the and the ruddy thing will strike again <laughs> for you and take off. They, they're just really? that, They're just that sort of really tough plant. And, uh, you, yeah, look, you could truly cut that back very, right. very hard and you'll get a whole lot of uh, new strikes coming out of that. That's, that's how they actually propagate them. They'll take massive cuttings, you know, from ground plants and they just go stick them into the soil and off they go again. So very, very tough plant, very easy to uh, propagate from. And, Thanks uh, so much. Now the other one... Sorry, we don't have to cut you off there, Sylvia. We have time just for one more call, do we, Scott? Yes, yeah, we'll go for it, yeah. Right, here we've got Marcia from Toronto. How are you doing? Fine, thanks. That's good. How can we help How you, Marcia? How about you two? Yeah. yeah, okay? Yes. <laughs> we look, we look <laughs> after each, each other pretty well. Oh, that's good, that's good, yes. <laughs> I have a fig tree that I'm wondering when I can prune it. So it's lost all its leaves now, Marcia? Sorry again? It's lost all its leaves? Oh yes. Yeah. So look, it is time to uh, give it a prune now. You always prune fig trees when they're when they've lost their leaves, yeah. uh, and so it is time to do that now. Uh, yeah. So usually, as, as soon as a fig uh, fin- you know has uh, lost its leaves, that's when you give it a prune back. Uh, yeah. Quite a quite a, they're a deciduous tree. But it's a rule of thumb with most deciduous trees that you uh, give them a prune back once they've lost their their leaves. Oh, okay. So now it's okay. Yeah, that's fine for you, Marcia. Oh, but can I make a comment about the monsterio fruit? Yes, most certainly. Yes, as a kid I ate it and it used to get all prickly on my tongue. Mm. Um, but now I have it growing and same as the gentleman before, it's getting a bit strong. But, you know, I do just hack it back. But the fruit on it, um, I finally learned how to eat it. And, and you have to wait until the little outside... The, Pop off like corks. Yes, I, I remember. Do I remember my auntie all those years ago? You had to wait for that as well, for it yes, to sort of start to almost peel itself off, and that's when you'd, you'd eat it. After that, you didn't yes. eat it when it was still sort of hard. Yeah, I, I can imagine it'd be a little bit, uh, you know, yucky to eat it at that. Yeah, yeah, you do have to be careful a little bit, but yeah. it's very, very nice fruit. If that other gentleman's still listening, have a try it. He's lovely. Excellent. Thanks for that, Marsha. Okay. okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Cheers, thanks that much. And that's all we've got time for today, Scott. Okay, yeah, we, we'll talk about herbs and this gold bullion again next week. We'll get looking, to it. Looking forward to it. That is all for Gardening Talk back this week.